2: Sports Radio 92.9, The
1: Game. Back with you John Chuckery Show, hanging out at the Key Studios. On this Wednesday evening, 404-741-0929. That's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. That is also our phone line. We're going to open up the phones, Day Day. We're going to live dangerously, okay? Let's do it. Here's what I'm asking, okay? Who needs a good performance on Saturday for the Falcons? Who needs a good performance on Saturday for the Falcons? I- I've got a few names. Who needs a good performance for the Falcons on Saturday. Do I, get to
3: go, I was going to say, do I get yeah, to throw one yeah, in there? Yeah, I will just in just a second.
1: Yep, we will give it in just a second. But first, hey, I want to remind you, though, the Big Time Baseball Podcast. Don't forget that. You can, hey, you can, yeah, but with all the other stuff you got going on, you can download the podcast with Cody Decker, Tony Gwynn Jr., and Major League Baseball insider John Heyman. You can download that for free on the Odyssey app day-day as a new episode's drop every Monday. It's the Big Time Baseball Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and free on the Odyssey app. So hit us up at 404 741 0929. That is our phone line. That's our Solomon Brothers Diamond Text line. Who needs a good performance coming up on Saturday for the Atlanta Falcons? I think anybody who plays defensive end can use a good performance. Eva Cady, Lorenzo Carter, um Ogundage. I think everybody could use a good performance at home against the Jaguars. I think that any of your backup offensive linemen could use a good performance because right now the starters are not dominant, but your backups are some of the worst backups in the league. A is awful. Jalen Mayfield is still the worst interior offensive lineman in the NFL. And Neither guy, Dolman or Hennessy, has really sorted himself out yet. So I think Franks needs a good performance, too, and not a quarterback. Franks needs to show that he can play some tight end and give a good performance. Who you got, Day-Day?
3: All right, so you hit you hit actually two of mine. Uh, w- well, one was really going to be uh, – I wasn't going to say anybody offensive line. I was going to say Jalen Mayfield, just yeah. flat out, like – He's got to. Um, I mean, there's just so much on the line with him from a, from a money perspective. Just he's got to play well. Uh, the other one you just hit was uh, Felipe Franks. I want to see him make this team as a tight end mm-hmm. because I was out there uh, when training camp first opened up. I mean, he looked good. He looked comfortable yep. in the position. And I think the way this offense is set up currently um Especially with Ritter and Mariota, whoever's back there, with them uh having the ability to keep plays alive and extend plays with their legs with the right matchups, Felipe Franks could 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 be a, a good target for them. So I really want to see him make this team as tight end.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think is I think I give him credit for embracing his role and everything. Um there's teams could care less about because I had a few people text me about. You know, well, emergency quarterback. Brother, you ain't, you ain't keeping around an emergency quarterback. You, the, the roster spots in the NFL are way more valuable yeah. than keeping an emergency quarterback, keeping a third-string quarterback. That's why nobody does it. I mean, that there, there's a reason why nobody does it. Those spots are too valuable. When you only got 53 spots and, and your practice squad guys, there's no reason, you know, you just keep, Again, that's what the practice squad is for. You want a quarterback that just have that you could throw on the roster if you need to, versus signing some ham and egg or off the streets. At least your your practice squad quarterback can practice with you, but you don't keep a roster spot just for the sake of having an emergency quarterback. So I agree. I look, I'm I'm rooting for Felipe Franks to be a part of this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna be curious to see some of these. Moves because they're at eighty now. They got to get down to fifty-three. 53 yeah, that's you know, a lot. Twenty-seven guys that have to go mm-hmm. away, you know. And then obviously you got to put your practice squad together from that. But you know, if look, if they move on from Debo or Marlon Davidson or somebody, I don't think they're putting any of those guys in the practice squad. Obviously, I mean, I don't think Debo qualifies to even go on a practice squad at this point. So you're are either keeping him or you're ge- or you're moving on from him. You're the DFAing right. him or or you're keeping him around here. So, look, I don't expect the starters to play at all. Nobody of real merit. I don't expect Mariota to play. Um, I'll tell you another, you know, guy or two is, you know, anybody in that wide receiver room. You know, Jared Bernhardt continuing to have a good game. You know, Damir Bird, I should say. Any of those guys that's in the wide receiver room because I think most of those spots are pretty solidified, but you've got to – got to see somebody – emerge like I I want to see somebody emerge as a number one wide receiver I want to see and I think Edwards is going to go into this year as your number one guy I think I think he's going to go for right now as your number one guy in all this so 404-741-0929 that is our phone line you can call up and tell us who you think uh, as well Um, you know again when you don't have most of your starters that are going to play like I don't expect Grady to play I think we pretty much know Drake London's not playing. Pitt shouldn't play, right? Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you some of the other guys, you know, too, is they need their interior defensive line guys to continue to show up. The, the Taquan Grahams and guys like that. Was it Jonathan right. Bullard and guys like yeah. that, that? They need those guys to, to show up and play as well. And I think, too, you know, you're still trying to figure out, you know, you're tr- still trying to figure out what your nickel corner slot and all that's going to be. You know, I think Isaiah Oliver has an inside track to all of that, but we, we really haven't seen – Is Isaiah Oliver even played in the preseason? I mean, obviously coming back off the injury and everything like that, but I don't think I've even seen Isaiah Oliver out there. But you're trying to figure out your defensive back rotation because you're going to rotate, you know, some guys. You're trying to make sure that you've got your nickel figured out. You're trying to figure out that you got your safety figured out. I don't think from a standpoint of starting – there are that many spots. I mean, the number one spot that's up for grabs as far as starter goes is center. That's the number one spot that you still have to sort out. And I think, to be honest with you, I think that's going to not just be in the preseason. I think that's going to head into week one of prep for the Falcons and Saints game. So I think, we gotta, I think we actually have a ways to go with all that. But you'd like to feel like, can one of those guys emerge? Because I've said again, I think part of the reason why it's so close is it's that Spider-Man meme. It's, it's, right. they, they point at each other and they're yeah. the same exact guy. So I don't think that they separate themselves all that much. You know, one week Dolman's in the lead, one week Hennessy's in the league. But uh, here's the thing. Y- you don't uh, – that's one of those spots on your football team mm-hmm. you don't want to have a lot of doubt about.
3: Well, no. You you want to go into – really, you want to go into week one, game one, week one, uh, like confident. Yeah, like, there's no there's no second guessing right. that, that spot, right,
1: right? Like I don't I there are certain things. I don't like competition at left tackle, right? I don't like competition at center. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like competition as your defensive end or outside linebacker pass rusher, because if, if 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 you think you have two or three, you probably don't have one, <laughs> right? It's like quarterback. If you if you you think you got two or three quarterbacks, you don't have one. Right. And that's defensive end in the NFL. You know, I, I promise you. There's no competition in, let's say, San Diego, right. as to who's going to start. Mack will be on one end, Bosa will be on the other end, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I don't think there's much. I don't think there's much competition up in Cleveland right now because I'm going to look at Jadavion Clowney on one side and Miles Garrett on the other side. Yep. I don't think I have to really worry about that spot on my football team. Here we're talking about rotating some guys around and doing some different things in this than the other, but you know, again. I think the center position is it's a competition, but I don't know that it's a I don't know that it's a good competition. I don't know if that's a good thing that that there's that much competition at center for a football team. You know again, the last time that that center was so uh what I want to say um, unsettled was the Mike person James Stone year, and that was awful. That was an awful year of watching you know two guys that couldn't snap the football. To anybody, They couldn't snap the football to Matt Ryan. Matt's out there with a baseball glove trying to pick up a shotgun snap off the turf. So there's a lot of guys that have to show me on Saturday, not so much that they're going to make the team or maybe so much about starter and things like that, but I want to feel like they can contribute. I want to feel like that Taquan Graham and some of these guys can partner up with Grady and cause some damage on the defensive line. I want to feel like our centers and our guards can handle what's thrown at them. And if, you know, a guy like Wilkinson or somebody goes down, what do I have in reserve? Because right now, if you think about two of our offensive linemen that are backups, Jalen Mayfield and Jermaine Effetti, those two guys look like so far, two of the worst offensive linemen in the history of the NFL. I mean, those two guys don't look Mm, good at all when they're on the football field and that's a problem because, look, guys get hurt, right? Guys guys get hurt here or there. And you don't have the 57,000-yard quarterback back there to bail your offense out at of times anymore. Yeah, those guys have played well, but it's going to be a whole different animal. I know Desmond Ritter has been fantastic. And I'm not saying that he's not going to have a good year. But he ain't seen Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney yet. You know, he hasn't seen Cam Jordan yet. Mm-mm. He hasn't seen Bosa and Khalil Mack yet. He hasn't seen the other Bosa and Arden Key in those guys yet, right? He hasn't seen Jonathan Allen and Chase Young in those guys yet. You know, he hasn't had to line up against those guys for four quarters and and face that kind of defensive front and effort. That's why it's so hard for, you know, again, it's, it's hard to get a read on preseason. You like what these guys have done, and I like what Mariota's done. I especially like what Desmond Ritter's done. And I said this today at this event that I was at. By the way, that was a fantastic, fun event uh, today. It was at Mercedes-Benz corporate headquarters doing a little um, uh, chalk talk, if you will, oh, talking about the you Falcons. you hanging
3: out with the fancy folk.
1: Yeah, let me tell you, that's a <laughs> – I mean, i had been by that facility a few times, but that's a really nice. Right there at Abernathy and 400, um, it's right there on kind of like Hammond or Glenridge or whatever, like right there. But Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah. A, it's their corporate headquarters or whatever like that. So, uh, Freddie the Falcon was out there. I was roughing him up. A little bit. Uh, the Falcon cheerleaders were out there, but we had a good little discussion, and I said that. Look, I I anticipate that they're going to be better than I think they're going to be better than what the pundits and experts have said, right? I think they're going to be better than the two and fifteen, better than the four and a half wins. Yes, and I think a lot has to do with their coaching staff. Yep, and and I said, you know, and I've said this consistently. Desmond Ritter is my favorite draft pick because there is something innate about winning. Like if you have a guy who's a winner, those are hard to find, right? I mean, it's hard to find that in friends, business, personal, sports, whatever, right? It's hard to find those kinds of guys. Desmond Ritter's a winner. I don't know if he's got the biggest arm. I don't know what his stats are. I don't know know, what his completion percentage will look like or this or that. But here's what I know. Desmond Ritter all through his collegiate career was a winner, and he found a way to win. He didn't beat everybody. I get it. He didn't beat Georgia. He didn't beat Alabama. But he did a lot of good things. He did go into Notre Dame and beat Notre Dame. He did a lot of good things in his collegiate career. So I'm high on him. But there's going to be a learning curve because guess what? You know, there's, there's no learning curve right now for Miles Garrett. There's no learning curve for Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack or Cameron Jordan. There's no learning curve for those guys. Those guys are going to, you know, get up off that three-point stance and come tear your head off. And how do you respond to all of that is what's going to be interesting. By the way, I'll give you another spot, too. The running backs need to figure something out. They need to figure out what the rotation of running backs can be. If if Cordero Patterson is your RB1, which I get – you're not running him 250 times so what's your rotation going to be? Right now who's that second back? Is it Williams? Is it Allison? Right, who's
3: the third it, down Yeah, back? I mean I yeah. think
1: I think to be honest with you I think Caleb Huntley's probably going to end up on the practice squad.
3: Okay.
1: I think I think he's going to end up either I, although he could make this team and maybe Allison gets put on the practice squad but they have more guys than spots available because you got to figure Keith Smith in as your fullback as well and Avery Williams is in the running back room as well. Right. And he's not, he's on the team. He's your he's your punt and kick returner. So he's take. so if you have four running backs plus Keith Smith,
0: mm-hmm. well,
1: Cordell Patterson's one. Avery Williams is another. Yep. Who's the final two spots? Because now you have to pick between Allison, Huntley, Williams, right? You got to mm-hmm. figure out that rotation of guys. One of those guys will end up on the practice squad, I think, when all said and done. So there's a lot on the line for the Falcons trying to figure out what this roster is as we get ready. Hard to believe that preseason football is finally just about to to be done here, but it should be fun. By the way, don't forget, too, we start the Wade Ford tailgate show from – what the hell time uh, is that? Is that from uh, 11 to 1? Yeah, that'll be from 11 to 1 because 1 o'clock is pregame. So, Hugh and I will be in studio here on Saturday from 11 to 1. We'll uh, get you prepared. Uh, I thought we were going to be on the streets, but we will be here in studio – from 11 to 1, coming up on Saturday. All right, when we get back, it'll be time for That's Life. When I tell you this story about this amount of meth that was found around here. It's all next, plus our top ten. Chuck the Key Studios. Sports right now, the game on app. 92.9 The Game. Back with you on the John Chuckery Show. 9.21 live in the Kia Studios. You know what time it is. That's life.
0: That's life. That's what
1: all the people say. 404 That's our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app so how you catch us on the go. Social media at 92.9 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, as always, at JMCH316. Hey, uh don't forget too, Kenny Maine's joined the Odyssey family his new podcast. <gasps> hey Maine. Every uh, week he's got the new guests on. This week he's got this says Kevin Mc, says Joel McHale, but did he mean Kevin McHale? Or is there a Joel McHale? We're gonna have to
3: do some uh we're gonna have to do some homework.
1: Okay. What about Berman? Hey, hey Tommy, hey, hey, pretty good. I you know, I don't uh, it, is that how that went? When they had Berman on, they say, Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, Tommy, pretty good. I, I, don't, uh, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I the bills. Are the, I, I, uh. Anyway. All right, we'll get to our top 10 here in just a few minutes. Where's Meriwether County?
3: Uh, South. Okay. South. Uh, at 80, uh, 85 South, I believe.
1: But I thought, okay. Yeah. So, three people were arrested in Meriwether County earlier this month. Mm hmm. Deputies discovered close to 3,000 pounds of methamphetamine in construction pipes in a resident's front yard. On August 12th, deputies noticed that a large delivery of black corrugated construction pipe. So, have you ever seen that stuff before? It's basically drain pipe, I think is what that is. Okay. Okay. Like you, like you, and you. Put the hook, the pipe up to your gutters and stuff like that. You can use it. But this is like super oversized. But they said that um, they noticed a large delivery of black corrugated construction pipe dropped in the person's front yard. Um, They revealed that some of the pipes contain large amounts of crystal methamphetamine hidden in the ridges inside the pipe. (laughs) So it's corrugated, right? Which means it's got these ridges on the inside, like these little valley ridges on the inside. And it was hidden in there. Officials said that 2,480 pounds of meth were recovered from the pipes. Now, I'm trying to see what the street value, what's the street value of 2,500 pounds of meth go for? I mean, that's got to be millions, right? It's
3: said 2,500 pounds?
1: Yeah, that's over a ton. That's more. A, a ton is two thousand pounds, right? So basically, a ton and a quarter was found. He said that um, the investigative uh, results are evident with the arrest made and the seizure of such a large quality of illegal narcotics. These drugs not only negatively affect our community. You think twenty-five hundred pounds? You could get the entire county high with twenty-five hundred pounds of crystal meth. You could get them so high that nobody'd ever come back. Like you if you had if they smoked or whatever, twenty five hundred pounds of crystal meth, they could film the walking dead there and they wouldn't even have to paint anybody up as a zombie because everybody would be a zombie in that town. Yeah. With twenty five hundred pounds of crystal meth.
3: Yeah, it says a pound it can average anywhere from twenty five hundred to five thousand, so. Uh, whoo. yeah. <laughs> a pound yes. would be
1: that much. Holy smoke! Yeah. So we're talking. What are we talking? Um, uh, seven, eight, seven million or more? Yeah, I think so. I mean, let's say it's three thousand for a pound. That's what that we're talking nine million. Is that was is that my is my yeah. math right? Nine and six zeros.
3: Seven, um, seven and a half million. Yeah. If it, was, if it was at, uh, yeah, if at 3,000, 2,500 pounds would be about 7.5. Yeah.
1: 3,000 a pound, 2,500 pounds would be 7.5 million. Where did they find 7.5, or why did they find 2,500 pounds of crystal meth?
3: It's always those small towns. Though. Yeah, because you'd is. have to, again,
1: <laughs> you, you know, have you ever heard the story? Like, if you try to cook crystal meth, like, half the time your place will blow up. Yeah. It's, a, it's incredibly combustible. Mm-hmm. I, again, I'll give you something to watch. Go on to PBS's website. Okay. And I've said this before. The single best documentary ever done that I've ever watched is the Crystal Meth Epidemic on PBS's Frontline. Okay. And it was first done in, I think, 2009 okay. is the first time it came out. It is fascinating about how... Crystal meth went from the West Coast, mm-hmm. came across to the East Coast. How the 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 you know the ephedrine right. and that battle—it's um, fascinating. Okay. And and they did it in conjunction with the Oregonian newspaper. It's a fascinating look at the crystal meth business and world out there. Wow, and okay. you know Atlanta has been a hub yeah. for crystal meth. Yeah. atlanta's yeah. one of the East Coast hubs for crystal meth. Look, Cherokee County. Has had all kinds of arrests, <laughs> right? They had that one funeral home up there that that they arrested the whole family yeah. for cooking crystal meth. Yep. I mean, it's it's crazy. But three, almost 2,500 pounds of crystal meth that was found. All right, uh, happy birthday today to um, where's my list uh, here that uh, I had. Uh, happy birthday to Rafael Furcal, former Atlanta Braves player. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. Uh, to Dave Chappelle. Okay. Is he underrated where he's supposed to be, or what would you say?
3: I think he's where he's supposed to be.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Also, happy birthday to Reggie Miller, obviously, former okay. NBA yeah. superstar. I like him on commentary on the NBA. Yeah, he's good. Happy birthday to former Mrs. Otis Nixon Pebbles, wow. also the person who basically built TLC out of uh, all of their. Life savings uh, yeah. that they had, took all their
3: money. That's Dion's wife now, too, isn't it? Pebbles? Uh, not Pebbles, no. Which one is he married
1: Dion to? Is, a, Dion is, he? is dating. Dion is dating. We did this the other week. He is dating one of, uh, you know, he's, he's dating. Uh, is not he dating Babyface's ex-wife? Maybe is, is Babyface's.
3: Yeah, that's who it is. Tracy, Tracy Edmonds. Edmonds. That's who it Baby is. Yeah, I knew it was somebody from that circle.
1: Um, Cal Ripken Jr.'s birthday today. Can I tell you, okay. overrated?
3: Yeah, I know you. Were, yeah, yeah, I know how overrated. You about him, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, also, too, it is Vince McMahon's birthday today. Vince, the Vince. chairman of the board, the Strut. Yep. Um, <laughs> we'll talk. We're gonna talk some wrestling coming up at 10:40 because I got the list of uh, the best matches in the Attitude era. But okay. anyway, it is Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon, his birthday today. Today is also National Waffle Day, so if you celebrate such things. So tonight's top 10 list, Mm -hmm. top 10 must have things to build your ultimate breakfast. Food, drink, spreads, whatever you want. Day Day, the floor is yours.
3: All right. So I'm going to start off with my eggs. I got to have my eggs. Mm -hmm. And with those eggs, I got to have my cheese. I need cheese in my eggs. Meat, I'm going to just keep it simple. Give me some nice, thick bacon, some thick country bacon. So
1: how do you like your bacon cooked? like
3: throw it in the skillet man and
1: I know but uh no
3: like hard you mean like do I want it hard? Wanna, I like it I like it crispy but with a with with, with a little looseness I don't okay. like it stiff
1: okay because I don't I don't like overcooked bacon I don't yeah, like, I don't like some it not like people stiff. like it real dry and crunchy nah. I, I need when I if I go to waffle house I want light I get it light yeah.
3: cooked okay I,
1: I actually like my bacon softer I don't okay. like it I don't like it Hard and crispy or anything like that. Yeah. To me, it just dries it all out. Yeah, so I, nah. like, I like soft bacon.
3: Give me some crisp, but I want it to, like, when I pick it up, it still has a kind of fold a little mm-hmm. bit. All right. Uh, So give me some mix for my pancakes. And when my pancakes are done, I need strawberries, I need whipped cream, and I need the syrup. Okay. All right. Uh, give me some hash browns. And I'm talking about some potato hash browns. Some, some you know, not no... Big one, big fillet. Yeah, of a, yeah, no, like, a wanna, like a
1: like a square, like a square block. Yeah, don't don't give right. me
3: that. I want some hash browns, some potatoes diced up, and putting the skillet, some little some onions in there okay. with them. All right, uh, and give me some ketchup for those, and then give me my drinks. Uh, give me a glass of milk, cause that's for my pancakes, and give me some a glass of orange juice, and that's my ten items that I gotta have for my ultimate breakfast.
1: All right, so my honorable mention is tomato juice. Okay. Um, as one of my drinks, so um, number one on my list is I gotta have coffee, really. And I gotta have pots of coffee. Okay, see, um, I don't drink
3: coffee. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big coffee guy.
1: <laughs> so give me coffee. Um, okay. I want an omelet. So I want, I want, I want an omelet. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan of omelets. You like so... a lot
3: of stuff in your omelets, oh, yeah, or you can what do you? It up. Yeah, okay. you can
1: load it up. You know, meats, cheeses, vegetables, okay. Whatever. Okay. I don't care. So load up me an omelet. I want. I'm double dipping. I want pancakes and okay. I want French toast.
3: Oh, you know, French I do. Toast. I do love some good, a good batch of French toast. Yep.
1: So I want, I want French, I want French toast <laughs> and pancakes. I want them both. I want lightly cooked bacon. Okay. All right. And I also want sausage patties.
3: Yeah, I like patties versus links.
1: Yes. And I would, I would much rather have patties than, than links on my, yeah. on my sausage. I can rock with um, you on that. Yep. And um, I want home fries. Okay. Now you know the difference between home fries and hash browns.
3: The home fries are more of your uh, slight, p- like sliced a slice potato. potato. Yeah, yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah.
1: Yep. I want I want home fries. Okay. Right. I want like I want the the full. You want the skin pota- still? Yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, skin me up. Yeah, <laughs> skin it. I'm, listen, I'm in it to skin it. Okay. So yeah, I mean just. Here, wash the potato off okay, yeah, and just no, start no. running it through that slicer thing. Yeah. And I want some home fries. Okay. Right? And, and and listen, they can they can take the bacon grease, the fat back grease, mm-hmm. and just cook the home fries in and the them, fat back yeah, grease. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Um, and then I want also, um, I want a grapefruit. Okay. Because that I like my grapefruit. And I want an English muffin with apple butter.
3: Okay. Okay. OK, I like the English muffins. I like the English muffins. Now, I know
1: neither one of us. Mm-hmm. I noticed that neither one of us on our list had grits. I
3: was going to say grits or cream of wheat. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I'll eat them, but they're not my go to. Yeah. Now, I'll eat them.
1: I'll, the thing that I eat for breakfast pretty mm-hmm. much every morning nowadays mm-hmm. is it's usually The very first thing that I eat okay. is I eat whole grain oats. Okay. So I just, I, I boil them in, in water. Right. You know, you get the, the big can of, yeah. like, like you know, Quaker oats yeah. or whatever. I get the Walmart whole grain wheat mm-hmm. oats and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I boil them up. And, I, and I'll slice a banana usually is what, that'll be the first thing I eat. Okay. But if I'm going to splurge, you know, and I eat oats just to, because that's a good thing to start your morning off with, a little mm-hmm. carbs in you and stuff like that. Okay. But... I'm not. I you know again. Uh, I want fat back and I want grease on my ultimate <laughs> on my ultimate breakfast. Yes, I mean, yeah. I want I want the good stuff. But I noticed though, neither one of us though did have grits. Yeah, no. On our list. Yeah, yeah. And does I, that make us bad Southerners? No, or? it
3: does not. It just uh, grits to me is not the because for me the ultimate breakfast means I'm I'm greedy. I'm I'm just right. diving in. And right. Grits to me doesn't really fall in that realm of being greedy and diving in. That's that's just a good old. Give me some grits, eggs and toast breakfast. That's kind of more where I'm at when it comes to grits. When I'm eating all that stuff, especially the pancakes with the strawberries and the whipped cream and all that, I don't need grits anywhere in the vicinity.
1: Yeah, there's to me there's too many other things that I want before yeah. grits. Like there are too many other things. Like if I go to like a if I go to like Shoney's. Right. Okay? There's about, you know, I want the French toast sticks. I want Mm -hmm. the pancakes. I want the eggs. I want the fruit. I want this. I want that. You know, I want the bacon. I want sausage. You know, and then eventually, like on my third trip, you know, I might get some grits just to mix it up. Yeah. You know, like I might get. Because I'll tell you the other thing, too, that that was not on either of our lists that probably should be is sausage gravy. Yeah. Sausage
3: gravy. Sausage gravy and biscuits. that, That
1: would be hard to. That would be hard to live without. I would either. Yeah. I I would take sausage gravy before I would take grits. Yeah, I I'll, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll take sausage gravy and biscuits before I take grits. Yeah, and 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 no self-effacing Southerner does instant grits or anything <laughs> like that. You gotta cook them in the pot and whatever. Yeah, we learned yeah, all that from, yeah, from what was that movie? Uh, the, uh, my cousin Vinny. Yeah, and we learned all that from that. Yeah, you so anyway do that. <laughs> Hit us up with your list as well. Text line at four four seven four one zero nine two nine at J M C H three one six. When we get back. We talked to our buddy Will Gray earlier in the show. He is our golf expert. We've got the Tour Championship starting up tomorrow. His thoughts about that, plus several other things happening in the world of golf. Chuck in the Kia Studios. Sports right now to the game, the Austin.com app.
2: Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. It is a John Trekker
1: Show coming to you live here on this Wednesday evening on the eve of getting things ready at East Lake for the Tour Championship. Don't forget, Andy and Randy and Duke Bell are going to be out there the next couple of days broadcasting live from the event. And, man, there is a, a ton of golf news. Uh, so we head out to the wadeford.com hotline. Only one guy that we talk to It's our buddy Will Gray. You can check out his work at NBC Sports Edge Betting and, of course, Follow him on Twitter at RealGrayGC, as always will, man. Appreciate the time, man. We got a lot of stuff to try to cover here today with all these different news and notes going on in the world of professional golf.
2: Yeah, John, always good to be with you, and uh, no shortage of
1: headlines in the golf world these days. For sure. Yeah, let's start with tell me what you know or understand about this new golf league, this virtual golf league. I don't know, this whole metaverse thing scares me to death, but. This thing that Tiger and Rory are going to launch, do you know a little bit about what this is going to be or or what what kind of the, the idea behind all this is?
2: Uh, I would say a little bit, emphasis on little. There there aren't a ton of details about exactly what it's going to look like, but there, the concept is uh, basically primetime golf where it's going to be in a two-hour clip. Uh, they, they've emphasized the stadium sort of vibe. They've already said Tiger and Rory. Are going to play. You're going to have top, uh you know, tour players playing in in leagues in groups of three. So it's definitely leaning much more towards the entertainment aspect than the competition part. But it is kind of a way to shake things up. uh Certainly, you know, if you're old enough, you hearken back to maybe 15, 20 years ago. The you know Chevron and and Capital One matches and stuff where they would play like the Battle of Bighorn, uh, in in sort of a prime time under the light setup. This is going to be a way to kind of consumer golf a little bit differently. And, and potentially I think their goal is to bring in a different consumer than maybe the one that's watching the PGA tour week in and week out.
1: And, and what do you think that the genesis of this idea is? I mean, I understand the idea of, of getting some new eyeballs, but I, I just wonder, I, look, I mean, let's be honest. You and I've talked about this before competition for eyeballs is massive in the world of sports. I mean, whether it's the NFL, it's Major League Baseball, it's professional wrestling. I mean, take your pick on things that everybody's fighting for eyeballs on. What does golf think it can do in something like this? And, and and how effective do you think that they could be in trying to get something prime time to, to watch an event like this that, look, it, it, if you don't have Tiger and Rory, watch, I mean, to be honest with you.
2: Well, that's the thing is that they do have Tiger and Rory. I, I think it, a lot of this, you know the success for this venture is going to hinge and, and be driven by the fact that those are the two guys behind it. They have come together, joined at the hip, they've created this this new corporation basically that is is launching this as a new venture. And, and you're right, I think that if it was you know two random guys even ranked in the top ten or top twenty, it wouldn't have the same gravitas or, or certainly the same uh, you know amount of interest for a casual fan. But anytime Tiger Woods touches anything in the world of golf, it's going to have some interest and some intrigue and some opportunity for a crossover audience. I think that's what the, the thought is here. And and I do think that it's just a testament to how the sands are kind of shifting in the world of golf right now, even with, you know, the, all the stuff that's going on with the PGA tour and live that, that what you thought of as professional golf a year ago, even six months ago, that is changing at a fundamental level and it's opening opportunities for this as sort of an offshoot uh, and a different way to consume it.
1: Golf reporter, Will Gray, joining us here on the wait hotline. Let's talk about uh, the meeting Tiger and Rory had, and now we're getting, you know, some information about the idea that the PGA Tour wants to play more events. They want to increase the purse money. I mean, is that what this is at the end of the day? I mean, if we cut through all the fog and the Michigas and everything, is it just a matter of getting these guys more opportunity to earn money so that they don't feel like they have to jump ship and go play for, you know, I'll call it a gimmick golf league
2: i think it's twofold i think part of it is that the the top one percent want to be uh, more effectively compensated they these are, are arguments that have been made for three four or five years with the pga tour and the top guys this is not something that came up uh you know within the last few months but it's part of it is they want the the top guys to get more money and also they want the top guys just to play more often together you see these guys at the, at the majors and maybe at the playoff events and not a lot in between. And that's where some of these changes that were announced uh, at the tour championship by, by Jay Monahan, the PGA tour commissioner, this is ro- rolling out very quickly. Uh, this is going to start next year on the PGA tour where you basically can look at the calendar and you're going to know which 15 to 18 events are going to have every single one of these top players. And part of that is going to be that they're going to have elevated prizes. They're going to have more money. The rich are going to get richer um, but, but a lot of it was, you know, as Rory said today in his press conference, when I go and watch Tampa Bay Bucks, I expect to see Tom Brady throw a football. And I think that there's a big part of that for golf as well of, yes, a random PGA Tour event might get two or three or four of the top players in the world, but we need to have these tent poles pretty much every two weeks once the, the season really gets up and running to say, I know that the best players in the world are going to show up at this event.
1: So, Help me understand, because this is this is why I like talking to you, because, I mean, you, you have a handle on all this. Isn't the reason that we're here now that, look, when I grew up, you're right. Like, I, any random Saturday, I could watch whatever, the Jamie Farr Classic on a weekend, and I would see most of the top golfers. But isn't part of that because there was no money involved in those tournaments and those guys had to play a crap ton to earn a living? Now you can play – a few majors, you know, one of your sponsored tournaments here, go to Europe and play your sponsor, you know, like whatever, the Deutsche Bank Classic or whatever because you're an Amex sponsor or whatever, and and make a crap ton of money without having to physically go out there and play hundreds of rounds of golf a year. I mean, I, I get what the idea is of wanting to put more good guys together, but isn't the reason that we're here is because they already make so much money in such a short period of time that they don't have to play all the time.
2: Well, that's it. I think we're, we're talking about varying degrees of crap ton of money. That's definitely the the stratosphere that we're in with this. I, I think a lot of it goes back to the PGA tours decision. I don't know if it was maybe 10, five, eight years ago, somewhere in that range, they kind of took on this mantra of if there's a week on the calendar, we're going to have a golf tournament because we're going to be able to find a sponsor that will stroke the check to to put their name on the billboard and we're going to set it up and they, they spun it as a playing opportunity for their, for their players. Uh, and that's how you end up ballooning this, this season to 46, 47, 48 events in a 52 week span. I mean, there's a lot of golf. And so I think if you go back 10, 20 years, you had a season that started in January. You had a season that ended in August or September. And so you compressed a lot of the action into those months as opposed to now over the last few years you've had guys just expected to to keep going you take two weeks off after the tour championship and you're right back at it in Napa and and playing from there right through the fall into Thanksgiving so you know the tour is going to get rid of this fall series or they're going to rework it significantly uh, starting in 2024 so that's again something that's coming down the line but I, I think that that's also, part of why you're going to see these guys together more often is because we're going to get back as a sport to the idea that the season starts in January. It doesn't start in the middle of September, and we're not doing the wraparound thing. And We're just going to go from January to August, and you're going to know that the 15, 18, 20 weeks when the best in the world are going to show up.
1: All right. I know this is going to be sacrilege, what I'm about to say here, and, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but – One of the things that people like about when you get some of these tournaments in the northeastern part of the United States is sort of the fan interaction and, I'll be honest with you, maybe a little bit of craziness from the fans. And I'm not saying you got to go Happy Gilmore and, and, you know, you you got a lot of craziness. But isn't one of the ways to get golf more exciting – is to get the fans more involved in cheering or whatever. I I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking out loud. But, you know, there's a reason why some people like to watch some of those tournaments where the crowds are a little bit rowdier. Do more events where you kind of get the same feel, where you can't tell the difference between this event and that event and this event, where they all just feel like the same, I mean, does that really move the meter on trying to get more eyeballs and more people to want to watch the sport?
2: I think that there's definitely opportunities to, to get more or get closer to fan engagement. I look at a tournament like the Phoenix Open. That That is not for everyone. That's not everyone's cup of tea. But the guys that go to the Phoenix Open know exactly what they're going to get. It's rowdy. There, there's beer being spilled everywhere. Uh, there's going to be guys talking in your backswing. And that's just what you're signing up for. If you don't want to play that tournament, you steer clear, and that's fine. So uh, I, I think that if there are a couple of those sort of events on the calendar where everyone says, "All right, listen, I know, I know that when I get to the 16th tee at the Honda Classic, it's going to get a little interesting. You're going to have someone in your ear, uh, and, and at least you can prepare for that or skip the tournament if you don't want to deal with it." Uh, golf is a little bit of a different animal, just because you can get so close. I mean, there's no other sport, unless you're pay, you know dropping big money for courtside tickets at the NBA, where you can get to the, you know, close enough to where the, the competitor can hear what you're saying. And, uh, and you can follow them around for a couple of holes and that can, that can be good and that can be bad in some cases. Uh, so I, I think that it's a little bit of, of fan interaction goes a long way. I agree that if you get it in the right mix, that it creates a more engaging environment. Everyone looks at the majors uh, outside of the masters. I mean, the masters clamp things down in their own way, uh, but the other majors, yeah, it, it gets, it gets rowdy and it gets fun and invigorating and, and a lot of times that worked well for creating a, a more amped-up atmosphere. Uh, but I think that outside of those big events, knowing a couple of select tournaments where that's going to be is a way to kind of hit the middle and make a good compromise.
1: Golf analyst Will Gray joining me here on the WaitFor.com hotline. All right, let's talk about uh, this Tour Championship. I love this event. Um, I've been lucky enough to broadcast from there a couple of times. And I, I love Eastlake. I love the setup. I, I love the way that they handle this event. How, do you like the format? There's been a lot of talk this week about maybe they're starting to get a little bit of pushback about how the format itself goes with the, you know, the staggering scores and things like that. Do you like the way that the setup is for this, or does there need to be some changes in how this tournament is presented?
2: They're never going to have a format that, that everyone loves. I'll say that. I mean, you're trying to find a balance between rewarding the regular season and still making it possible for the 30th guy to, to win the whole thing, it's hard to really strike that balance. Uh, So I I like that they changed it. I like the creativity. I don't necessarily love it. Uh, This is a week where, you know, you had Will Zalatoris. He had a great season. He wins the first playoff event, comes in as the third-ranked guy. at seven under, but he has a back injury. Now he withdraws, and all of a sudden he's going to get paid out as the 30th-ranked player for the season when he was clearly one of the top three, four, five guys uh, all year long. There's no fail-safe there. Uh, whereas before in the old format, if you start third, you're not going to fall any further than, I don't know, seventh or eighth, somewhere like that. So, uh, I, I think that it's, it's a step in the right direction. Personally, I would love to see them get it into a match play situation where you set everyone up, play 36 holes of stroke play, knock it down to 16 guys and put them in a bracket for the weekend. You'd have wall to wall match play coverage on Saturday and Sunday. And eventually you'd have two guys. Let's say you have, you know, Scheffler and Patrick Cantlay going toe to toe for 18 mil for 18 holes. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, that would be some great television and certainly a great uh, opportunity for for folks there in Atlanta that are at East Lake. So I don't know that we're going to get there. That's just kind of my my idea that I, I know I've seen floated around, but uh, it's it's definitely something that the tour has shown uh, a willingness to tweak and a willingness to change.
1: Well, it's not a major, but you're going to feel the effects of guys not being there because of the lived defections and things like that. How do you think that? How do you think that people are going to watch this tournament this weekend? I mean, it, it, it is a lot of money involved, but again, it isn't the Masters or the U.S. Open or something like that, but this is a really cool tournament. I mean, I, I, again, I'm, I'm a homer, I'll admit it, but I love, I love the tournament and the idea itself, but it is going to be affected by the guys that are not going to be there. Do you think that there's concern from the PGA about this, or do you think that everything that surrounds this tournament is enough to carry it through?
2: I think as you get into the weekend and you have guys, you know, playing for the the money and, and playing for the prestige of winning the, the whole season title, it's going to stand on its own. It's more of early in the week that you might feel, wow, you know, Bryson's not here. DJ is not here. Taylor Gooch would have qualified, uh, but he's not here. Those sort of where the big names are missing, but for the most part, they, they've been missing for long enough that now you don't, you don't miss them as much, right? They haven't been playing the PGA tour since about uh, May. so So we've had several months of, of these events in the last two weeks of the playoffs where those guys haven't been a factor. And and I think that we're starting to adapt to this setup where you have, you know, one big group of players on one side and you have a smaller, well-compensated group on the other. And and I don't know how often they're going to be intertwining outside of the majors. So uh, it, it's definitely, you know, forced a, a bit of a schism through the sport and they're still trying to figure out, how the future is going to roll out and whether or not those live guys are going to be able to play in the majors. But when it comes to these events, I mean, this is, this is the capstone of the PGA tour season and they're looking to reward the best players from the PGA tour. And so those are guys that, that you know, are on, on top of the leaderboard and, and probably will be there come Saturday and Sunday in terms of Scheffler and Kent Lane, Xander Shoffley, uh, and all, all of the people that uh, are, are in the mix right now.
1: Last thing for you. Well, I've literally just got 45 seconds left is it tough to try to start further back in a tournament like this and and really make hay? Because as you talked about, you know, uh, Tony Finau, Scheffler, Cantley, the defending champion, you know, these are top-tier guys, and the idea of them playing bad and you trying to make up, it does seem like it's pretty tough to try to break through and try to win a tournament like this.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that's by design. You know, you want to make it possible for the 28th guy to win, but you don't want to make it easy for him to win, right? So – uh, and especially because East Lake is not really a course that's going to give up a 61 or a 62. You have to go out and, and put something on the board Thursday and hope that some of the guys ahead of you are going to falter. Not all of them are going to play poorly, but uh, you know we've seen Rory come back from six shots back uh, the first year of this new format. It's not unheard of, but I still think we're all waiting for that miracle year where you have someone that starts the tournament nine or even ten shots back and makes it all the way to the top. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. It's not impossible, but it'll certainly make for a fun story once it happens.
1: You can follow him on Twitter at Will Gray GC, and, of course, check him out at NBC Sports Edge Betting. He is our go-to guy when we want to talk about things in the world of golf. Will Gray, join us on the WaitFor.com hotline. Will, as always, man, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for a few minutes uh, in Atlanta, and enjoy the weekend.
2: All right, no problem, John. Always good being with you.
1: John Chuckery, we'll be back. Sports right now to the Game of the Odyssey.com app.